You're listening to RTNT, Radio Totally Normal Toronto. My mental illness allows me to be more compassionate. I don't let it stop me from what I have to do in life. My mental health helps me relate to other people. I'm not afraid of it anymore. I'm at peace with my mental illness. Mental illness saved my life. My mental illness has helped me learn about myself. It's given me a new outlook on life. Welcome to the July show of Radio Totally Normal Toronto on CJRU 1280 AM and CJRU.ca. I'm Michelle and I will be your host for this July 10th, 2019. This will be episode 19. Radio Totally Normal Toronto, or RTNT for short, is a voice for community mental health produced by members and staff of Progress Place, a mental wellness clubhouse in downtown Toronto. Our topic for this month is mental health and LGBTQ. The acronym stands for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, and Queer Plus. The full range encompasses Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Transsexual, Two-Spirit, Queer, Questioning Intersex, Asexual, Ally, Pansexual, Agender, Gender, Queer, Bigender, gender variant, and pangender. Today we will be hearing from two wonderful organizations that were kind enough to donate their time during Pride Month to share information about their agencies. First, we will be hearing from Ronnie of Sherburn Health, and then we will be hearing from Chris of the Umbrella Mental Health Network. The reason we've chose to cover the connection between LGBTQ and mental health is not only because of Pride Month, but to address and raise awareness for LGBTQ services available in our community. According to the Mental Health Association, LGBTQ people face higher rates of depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive and phobic disorders, suicidality, self-harm, and substance use among LGBTQ people, double the risk of post-traumatic stress disorder than heterosexual people, we will now be hearing from Matthias of RTNT, interviewing Ronnie of Sherburn Health on mental health and LGBTQ. I'm Matthias Poe for Radio Totally Normal Toronto. I'm sitting here with Ronnie from Sherburn Health. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you very much. We're going to be talking today about mental health and the LGBTQ community. And I was first interested about how you got involved with Sherburn Health. So I got involved with Sherborne Health two years ago when I was hired as a mental health counselor on the LGBTQ family health team. So my role there is to provide individual couples group therapy, but I'm also involved in some uh, health committees that help guide the organization strategically through making sure that the community's needs are being responded to. Uh, Can you speak to some of the stigma about mental health that may exist in the LGBTQ community? Yeah, I think stigma toward mental health concerns exist everywhere in all communities. I think when, we, when we're talking about stigma in the LGBT community, it's important to acknowledge where that stigma has its origins. And so if we look at the history of LGBTQ 
rights and protections, we know that those are fairly recent things. So that means to say that in terms of the systems that govern our lives, so the legal system or healthcare, that it's relatively new for LGBTQ people to be respected in their own right. Just, you know, four years ago, uh, trans rights started to become something that became uh, a popular topic. And only in, you know, 2017 was the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms amended to include protection against discrimination and harassment based on gender expression. If we look at healthcare, for example, conversion therapy, so that's therapy that's meant to train, quote-unquote, folks out of their sexuality or gender, was recently banned in Ontario uh, in 2015. So these are relatively new advancements, and that kind of speaks to the idea that the history of how LGBTQ people are perceived by the larger population has actually been quite dark and unforgiving. And so if we look at that, it makes sense why folks within the LGBT community might experience stigma toward folks within their own community, because we're all affected by these systems. We all have to survive in these systems. And one of those, one of the ways that we strategically do that, unfortunately, is uh, sometimes manifests in some in-group conflict. But it's important to talk about where that comes from. I think one of the main messages is to acknowledge that most folks will experience some sort of mental health concern in their lifetime, that people who experience oppression will likely experience a mental health concern that's a direct response to oppression, and that there's nothing inherently wrong with you. I think most folks will think, I mean, you asked about stigma in the earlier question. I think we can also have stigma toward our own self and experience. And so the message that I want to have to put out there for folks who experience mental health issues and they want to uh, seek support is to not delay, to try to find uh, an affirming resource. So that's, uh, we're in a different time where there's a lot of resources available and I recommend that if you have a supportive person, at least one person in your life, that it would be helpful to have someone to debrief your first appointment with or to sit with you when you make a phone call uh, to try to not do it alone, but also to not delay. I think that because we, folks in the LGBT community, myself included, we navigate mental health concerns every day. It's kind of hard to not see it play out in your life. So you have no choice but to take it. Seriously. So I'll paint you a picture. You can imagine if you are um, sort of going to work and you're not being respected by your colleagues and then you go home and you're not, or, or you go to school and you're not being respected by your professor or your, or your peers and then you go home and your family has really mean things to say to you that is transphobic or homophobic and then as you transit between those systems, you're also experiencing people staring at you, making comments about you, complete strangers, right? And so each of those things has a mental health consequence. And so you can't navigate the world without coming into contact with your own mental health experiences because they're directly affected by the systems that you're trying to navigate to build a life for yourself. So I think you know, in order to survive, you have to take it seriously. And I think that because we all navigate that um, in our own ways, there's greater compassion for other folks in the community, but not always.
Because if you're operating in a system of scarcity, right, then I think thinking is that you want to protect your resources. And I think this is where the stigma comes in, where if I feel that I don't have enough support in my life and there's so many people trying to get that same support, it puts you in a, in a sort of a setup to fight each other for that support. And so I know it sounds kind of contradictory to say in one answer, like there is stigma in the community and then on the other, there's more compassion. But this is where it gets complex, right? Yeah, it sounds like that sort of dovetails nicely into the kinds of uh, difficulties or unique challenges um, facing those seeking mental health in the LGBTQ community. I would say like in terms of seeking mental health support, mm-hmm. I think the main challenge is that history of pathologization. So by that I mean that doctors, psychiatrists, uh, medical professionals... The, the problem med- in the DSM for some time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But that's a, re- that's a relatively recent change. And even changes in legal systems, right? There's always a lag between things being changed officially mm-hmm. and how does that translate to the folks actually practicing. So what I need to say is when you access service, there's no guarantee that your provider is going to be responsive, respectful, even if they say they are, right? And so that's one, one, one unique challenge. There are a few others that I want to speak to. So um, the sense of constantly feeling that you have to negotiate safety, so feeling safe in the world with how you express yourself authentically. So in order to be safe in the world, I have to sacrifice my authenticity. In order to be authentic in the world, I have to sacrifice my safety. I don't get to have both simultaneously, which is a hallmark of privilege, right? I think a lot of folks could say, yeah, I can feel safe and authentic as I move through the world. But also if there's a moment where you don't feel like that, that's just a window into how folks in our community might feel on a daily basis. Um, So that's just one piece. To go along with that, there are many ways in which folks in our community are erased when they are trying to be visible and when they are made to be visible against their will when they're trying to hang back, right? So if you don't have control over what's happening to you in any given moment, I would say that that's traumatic, right? And so adds another layer which makes one feel that the only way that they can experience safety and authenticity simultaneously is in isolation, which is actually uh, a few steps away from hopelessness and distress. You can start to see how the system has actually been created to set up this eventuality. And we're working on it, right? So when we think about what we do at Sherborne, is we're, we're very aware that this is the reality that folks are bringing in to the room when they're meeting with a provider. Uh, large portion of our staff are LGBTQ folks themselves, so we're providing services within our own community, Um, and I think that that is really important. And I think that we think about how to bring awareness to other organizations, hospitals, other health centers. I think one good strategy is to make sure that you're hiring folks from the community to serve the community. I don't think that it always needs to be that way, but it's a good place to start. Could we talk about the intake process at Sherburn Health? Absolutely. 
So if you would like to access mental health counseling at Sherborne, you don't need to be also accessing our primary care. So you can self-refer. And what that would look like is that you would make a phone call to our mental health intake line, which is on the website. Do you want to give us that website? Sherborne.on.ca. Thank you. And uh, you'll find the number for our intake line. You make a phone call, leave your name and phone number. You can leave the name that you use. You can also indicate the pronouns that you use. And someone will return your call to set up an intake appointment, which can be done over the phone or in person. It takes about half an hour. It's just to get to know who you are, uh, what kind of things you're hoping to work on so that we can figure out who the best match is. And then, then at that point, you'll be placed on a wait list before you get matched with your therapist. And that, of course, leads into the inevitable question about concerns about long waiting lists, if you could speak to that. Absolutely. And this goes back to the suggestion for folks who are seeking mental health and to not delay, right? Because mm. if you're anticipating a wait list, then it's sort of important for you to address your concerns sooner rather than later. Wait lists are an unfortunate reality in all organizations, I believe, in the city. So it's really, really tough. It can be defeating before you even begin to seek support, to think about, oh my God, I have to wait even more. I've been waiting so long to get to this point of being ready to seek help, and now I'm having to wait. So Sherborne does some things to get around that, or at least to address folks who are immediately ready to dive into the change process. So one of those things is our walk-in counseling program. And so our walk-in counseling program is once a week on Tuesdays. Um, registration begins at 12. It's first come, first serve. We typically have three spots available. If you show up and there are no more spots, we encourage you to come next week <laughs> and try right. again. You know, uh, sometimes we have capacity to catch folks if they've come late. And if our spots are full, there might be an opportunity for someone, but it's rare. But it is, it's possible, right, if you're motivated to try. There are also other agencies that offer walk-in counseling as well. And uh, it's a quick Google search. Could you speak to some of the privacy concerns people might have when they seek help for mental health issues? I think the number one privacy concern people will have is, who's going to find out my information? Confidentiality is like the most important thing when you're talking to a provider about mental health. If you don't trust that your information will be kept confidential, then the therapy you're accessing will not work. And so confidentiality in the LGBT community is complex because the community is small. And so the providers who work in the community and also live in the community understand that they are navigating dual roles, right? And I think one of the ways that uh, we navigate that as providers is it's kind of similar to working in a rural community where you're your therapist's mechanic. And it's not impossible to, to navigate those dual roles, but you do need to be mindful that they do exist, or if they don't exist now, they might exist later. And two, um, it's sort of a, a way of, of making sure that the therapists and the providers can live their lives. Uh, but I think in terms of confidentiality and privacy, it's one of the most important duties for a healthcare provider 
to have. It's a legal obligation. And so if you have your privacy breached, there are certain things that you can do to act. I feel like we would be remiss if I didn't uh, ask about abuse and domestic violence in LGBTQ relationships. Absolutely. That's a tough one because if we think about uh, media depictions of queer and trans people, we don't really see uh, positive depictions. And so if we're talking about domestic violence and abuse in the community, there's often a risk of playing into those narratives of queer and trans people being volatile or violent. That is not the case because we also have to acknowledge that queer and trans folks are more likely to have experienced some form of trauma, whether that is capital T trauma, so those like really big significant uh, events that are life-threatening, or small t trauma, those everyday acts where you're not in control of what's happening to you. And so if that's what you're bringing into the table, and if both folks are coming to the table or coming to the relationship with these experiences and you're under stress navigating your daily realities, you have you also feel isolated and you come together, you can imagine that things can escalate in ways that are about misunderstandings, that are about trauma reactions, trauma reenactments. And so I think when we talk about abuse and domestic violence in our community, we also have to do that from a compassionate place rather than a blaming place. But the reality is, is that it does happen in queer and trans relationships and that the people who provide services know that this is a reality. It's been well documented. And the thing to do if you fear that this is something that's going on in your relationship is to open up to a healthcare provider about it. We were talking earlier about the uh, the walk-in counseling program that you have. Can you speak to any other popular successful programs or groups that you run? Yes, absolutely. So we've run a trauma and empowerment recovery group called TREE for anyone who is on the masculine spectrum. So that's cis men, trans men, non-binary people who've been affected by masculinity, anyone who's been affected by masculinity in their own uh, personhood can access this program. And it is an intensive trauma psychoeducation and skills building, community building program where you are learning about trauma, you're learning about the impact of that, how that plays into systems of oppression, and a chance to heal in the context of other folks in community. So that's been a really successful program that we've had run. Mm -hmm. I facilitated with my colleague a mental health support group for queer and trans black indigenous people of color. So here we really tackled the intersectionality or intersectional beings and what they go through. It's not just racism, but it's also colonialism. It's also transphobia, homophobia, biphobia. And so those things combined in unique ways. They're not discrete categories that you can say, okay, that interaction was 25% transphobia, 10% homophobia, and like 65% racism. It doesn't add up to those discrete categories. It actually creates quite a unique experience of oppression 
in a micro moment. Mm -hmm. So that group really honors that reality, give folks an opportunity to speak about racism without shame, without being shut down, without being dismissed, denied, or discredited, and to experience that other people actually experience the same thing. You can imagine if you're not allowed to talk about racism in your community, that you will begin to believe yourself that it doesn't exist, and you erase your own experiences. And so the process of bringing together people who are black, indigenous, or people of color together, who are also queer and trans, to speak about these complex intersections, it awakens this consciousness of your own self. And so that's why that group was important to run, and it has been one of our successful programs. With pride just behind us now, does that put an extra strain on your services? Can you speak about that? There's certainly more excitement in the building, and I think it's a welcome excitement. There's more people that come through. We also offer harm reduction supplies in our waiting area, so more folks will come through our building just to pick up some supplies. People will come for extra programming that we do around Pride. And so it's not really a strain as much as the excitement of Pride. And it actually makes the building come alive in a way that uh, you know coincides with the summer solstice and all these wonderful things. So I think it is really lovely to see the influx of folks in the building around the Pride season. You were telling me about some of the harm reduction supplies that you offer during Pride. Can we talk about the naloxone program that you offer? Yeah, absolutely. So naloxone is a compound that can reverse opioid overdose. And so to access naloxone at Sherborne Health, it's free. You can come to get a kit. It involves a 20-minute training. You can drop in Monday to Friday, 9 to 4.30 p.m., to see if there's anyone available to train you and uh, give you the kit. It's fairly easy to access. And so if that's something you're thinking about, maybe if you don't use opioids but you know that a family or a friend uh, does, it's not a bad idea to come down and, and grab one. Can you tell us about some of the services that you offer that support individuals who are in non-monogamous or kinky relationships? Yeah. Across the organization at Sherborne, uh, I would say that we are sex positive, so that means that we accept and we celebrate that folks experience and express their sexuality in a myriad of ways, and there's no one way that that looks. And so what sex positivity means is that we don't anticipate that we know anything about someone's uh, sexual past or history unless they tell us. And so what that looks like is that we, we try not to make assumptions about um, who you are when you walk through the door. It's one feature of your health, the sex that you have, how you navigate romantic relationships, and I would say that we understand and celebrate the range of possibility. Lastly, I wanted to ask you about the services that you offer for the homeless and underhoused. Yeah, similar to the previous question, I would say that all of our staff are equipped to support folks who are experiencing homelessness or precarious housing. Some specific programs, though, that that address some of the unique needs of folks who experience homelessness. So for youth, uh, 29 years of age and under, we have Supporting Our Youth, which is a sub-program of Sherborne that has other 
programs attached to it. So there is a Tuesday night program called Intersections. They're for queer and trans youth mostly. And these programs are opportunities for folks to connect, experience community, meet with a resource worker, come come up with some goals and work toward those in a safe environment. They can access food and tokens while they're there. Um, Some nights they have a mental health counselor that can meet with folks in an informal way if that's what's needed that day. They have a health bus which uh, moves around town and offers services on the fly, which is pretty cool. It was recently um, rebranded, so it looks pretty nice. (laughs) We also have a dental bus that stations in our parking lot some, some days. You can find this information on our website. Is there anything else that you would like to tell us about Sherburne Health or any upcoming programs or events that you want to plug? Absolutely. I would say that it's not every day that racialized, non-binary, queer person can work in an organization where they feel supported and respected. And that's certainly been my experience. I think the staff at Sherborne have really giant hearts and they're really passionate about the work. Um, we make mistakes, but more importantly than making mistakes is how you handle mistakes. And I think we do a really great job of that um, in terms of responding to uh, feedback from our community. And it's just a really great place to check out if you are interested in any of the things that we've been talking about today. I think some of our listeners will hopefully want to come and take a look at your program. This has been Matthias Poe from Radio Totally Normal Toronto. Thanking Ronnie from Sherburn Health for joining us this afternoon. I hope you have a great afternoon. Thanks. You too. You are listening to Radio Totally Normal Toronto on CJRU 1280 AM and CJRU.ca in Toronto. Thanks for tuning in. Our topic for this month is mental health and LGBTQ. That was Matthias from RTNT interviewing Ronnie from Shelburne Health. Unfortunately, we had to cut some of the content due to the time restraints, but you can catch the full interview on RadioTotallyNormalToronto.org and on streaming platforms. Ronnie shares information on the DSM and its history surrounding the LGBTQ community. Here's a brief overview of the DSM. DSM stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders It is the handbook used by the healthcare professionals in the United States and professional in the West as the authoritative guide to the diagnosis of mental disorders. The current DSM is the DSM-5. Homosexuality was removed in the DSM-4 in 1994. Being trans was only removed in the DSM in 2013. Ronnie also talks about intersectionality, which can be described as a study which identifies how different aspects of social and political discrimination overlap with gender. Services are often offered for a general population, causing those who require specialized services to feel underrepresented and forced to search for services that meet their needs. Those looking for these specific services are often met with difficulty in finding the services they need or are prevented from accessing them. We will now be hearing from Max of RTNT and Chris Shelligan of the Umbrella Mental Health Network to continue our dive into the topic of mental health and LGBTQ. 
Uh, my name is Max. I've been a member of Progress Place since I was um, 21, but I only stayed for uh, less than a year. This time I've been here for about six months. My name is Christopher Shillington. Uh, I am a registered psychotherapist and clinical director of Umbrella Mental Health Network. Um, this is my first time at Progress Place. Great Welcome. To be here. Thank you. <laughs> Question number one is. Um, <laughs> How and why did you find the Umbrella and Mental Health Network? So Umbrella Mental Health has been around for just over three years as of April 1st. It was initially kind of the idea of myself and Dr. Allison Reeves, who at the time was the lead psychologist at Anishinaabe Health. And the two of us were talking about how there are lots of agencies and organizations in the city that offer LGBTQ mental health services, but not any sort of that do private practice as like a group. And while there are lots of therapists throughout the city that offer therapy to LGBT people, um, there wasn't any kind of like collective. And so we had the idea of creating Umbrella as one, a space that the community, the LGBT community, can find therapists that are competent in working with queer and trans issues, and so that they knew that that would be a part of it. And then also a place for queer and trans therapists to sort of learn and grow together as therapists. So it's kind of twofold. It was to meet the needs of the community, but also to meet the needs of um, therapists. And so an important part of Umbrella is that all of our therapists are queer and trans identified. Hmm. Probably helps to relate in a more, you know, cohesive manner, probably. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I think that safety is an important part for a lot of our clients, and knowing that they're speaking to people that understand and have shared some of those lived experiences is really important. Just uh, one more, one question from me. Yeah, go for it. Where did you get the title (laughs) Umbrella? (laughs) <laughs> so Umbrella actually you know? came from one of our associates or one of our therapists in the beginning when we started. The idea of Umbrella is like a collective or like a group of people. Also, Umbrellas obviously provide shelter, safety. So there's kind of like a lot of meaning behind the idea of the Umbrella. That, that totally makes uh, sense. Okay, uh, second question is, can you speak to the stigma of mental health in the LGBTQ community? I think we all know that mental health or mental illness is stigmatized. As it pertains to the LGBTQ community, I think I can speak most to the stigmatization of accessing the services, and that is that mental health services historically, and even to this day, have been seen as homophobic, have been seen as transphobic. And so there's been a lot of hesitation from the community in accessing service. I mean, it wasn't until 1972 that homosexuality was seen as not a disorder. It was only last year the World Health Organization um, removed um, trans identities as an illness. And so mental health has historically been a place of a lot of trauma and stigmatization towards our community. It makes sense to me that LGBTQ folks are very apprehensive and nervous about going into mental health spaces. I hadn't, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know all that, and that's, that comes quite a big surprise to me. What, what would you suggest to an individual from the LGBTQ community who is seeking help for mental health? What would you recommend for them? 
I mean, first and foremost, I would say do your research. Find out, like, is the organization or the agency that you're accessing, are they competent to be providing mental health services to queer and trans people? Ask questions. Feel free to ask questions. To what extent is your knowledge about my lived experience? Uh, how long have you been practicing? Where did you get your education? Um, these are things that any mental health professional should be able to answer in very clear ways for you and to give you an idea of what you can expect. And if they don't answer those questions in ways that feel comforting to you, keep researching, keep looking elsewhere, because mm. to be able to find a place that feels like a good match is incredibly important. We, we all want to fit in. <laughs> exactly, for yeah. sure. Um, so do you think mental health is taken seriously in the queer community? You know, I was giving that one a lot of thought. And I, th I mean, obviously, when we're talking about the community, I think it's so hard to talk so broadly, right? Because are we talking about cis gay male community? Are we talking about trans community? Are we talking about black community? Are we talking about bi community? Like, our community is so diverse. Yeah. Um, and so is it taken seriously in our community? Some people yes, some people no. But I think actually broadly our community is very comfortable talking about mental health. Um, I think that because there's been so much stigmatization and oppression and trauma in our communities that we're kind of used to talking about things like anxiety. We're used to talking about depression. Um, that these are, these are common conversations that yeah. we actually have with each other, which huh. I think is really great. And so in many ways I do think it's taken seriously. What uh, difficulties or unique challenges does the LGBTQ community face in mental health? Right. So, as I've kind of been talking, our community has experienced a lot of systemic oppression from religion, right. from government, from various agencies. Um, and with that comes a lot of trauma and marginalization. And so... When all of these factors come into place, of course, you're going to see higher instances of mental illness and of mental health concerns, things like depression, things like anxiety. Um, you're going to see increased use of substances and, and various coping mechanisms. And so I do think that with the challenges of being queer or trans in a world that is homophobic, transphobic, queerphobic, um, it's just, it's inherent that you're going to see more mental health challenges. Uh, explain your intake process. Umbrella is a fee-for-service agency, which means Umbrella is very much about accessibility, as much as we can be. And so what that means is we try to make the intake process as easy as possible. Mm. There is an online intake form that you can just fill out very basic. It doesn't ask any more questions than we need to know. You can phone us. You can text us. You can email us. So we try to make it as user-friendly as possible. A lot of folks, especially millennials, are terrified of the phone. And so that's why we try to add things like email or text as just like really easy ways to contact us. Cool. And then after that, our admin um, admin assistant will do their best to work with whoever's contacting us to match them with one of our therapists that will best meet their needs. Nice. So first up, Google Umbrella Mental Health Network. Totally. 
Can you address any privacy concerns people may have? Certainly. So, obviously, psychotherapy or therapy is a confidential relationship. And so anything that you share with a therapist is entirely between you and that therapist. Um, there are, of course, exceptions to confidentiality. Um, those mostly pertain to legalities and ethics of harm. So things like if you were to share that you, you were intended to harm someone or if you intended mm. to take your own life. Um, we do have a duty to report around certain things. Um, but I think what we, we really try to, as a team at Umbrella, talk about what does that look like? Um, I think there might be fears for folks of like, if I share that I'm suicidal, are you going to send me to a hospital? Are you going to call the police? And that's not necessarily the case. There are lots of ways to support someone who is feeling suicidal that does not involve the police or sending you to an inpatient um, place in a hospital. Um, that can look like lots of different things. Can you speak to the concerns about abuse and domestic violence in LGBTQ relationships? That's another one that I was kind of giving some thought to. I actually don't see a lot of domestic violence in the clients that I work with. So I do work with individuals as well as couples and even um, poly folks, so people with multiple partners. And certainly abuse comes up, of course. Um, domestic violence, I haven't come into contact with too much in my work. That's not to say that it doesn't exist. Of course it exists. Um, but what I can speak to is sort of the idea of healthy relationships broadly, and that's something that I do a lot of work around, is how do we form healthy relationships with each other? And again, I think it ties back to when we're working with folks that have a lot of mental health challenges because of a lot of marginalization and oppression, our relationships are strained, they're hard. I mean, if you can imagine two people coming together that are both struggling with substance use issues or both struggling with depression and trying to be in a relationship with each other, that's going to be really complicated. <laughs> and so I do a lot of work around like, how do we, as a community that has a lot of mental health challenges and a lot of oppression and a lot of trauma, how do we form healthy relationships? And so I do a lot of work around that. But I, I can't speak exactly specific to domestic violence as that's not something that I see a lot of in my mm. practice. Which is good. <laughs> it is good. I mean, yeah. it's, again, I have to like say that it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist because right. it, it does yeah. exist for sure. Is there extra strain on your services during Pride? And can you speak as to why that is? Um, I, we do see a bit of an increase in intakes during Pride. And I think that's just because during Pride Month, it's on people's mind. They're mm. thinking about their identity. They're thinking about queerness. They might be thinking about their relationship to their queerness or their identity. And sometimes that brings up questions that they feel they need some support around. And so I do think we see more people accessing service during that time. Um, I also think that pride sometimes for people, they are reflecting on things like coming out. And so depending on where you come from, your background, cultural, ethnic, religious, 
that might be a really dangerous or difficult process around coming out. I mean, coming out actually is a very Western colonial idea. Um, that's not something that around the world people practice this idea of coming out. And so we try to give a lot of space for folks that come forth that like, you don't have to come out. That can be something that is really personal and that you do on your own time and in a way that feels safe for you. Mm. Can you address the concern? Uh, yeah, can you address the concerns about long waiting lists? Certainly. So that was partially why we created Umbrella is that yeah. a lot of the agencies and organizations in our community are heavily waitlisted. Mm. Again, it's a reflection of a high need for mental health services, mm. um, and so Umbrella was because we're fee-for-service and we're able just to kind of bring on new therapists as, as needed, we don't really run wait lists. Our, our, the folks that access us, they can see a therapist the next week. Um, that's, well. not to, that's not to say that any all therapists are, are always available. Certainly so, some therapists are busy or ha- are full at, at certain times. Um, but generally, if someone's in need of service and they're able to afford our services, we, they can get, get in to see us. That's awesome. Um, does your agency offer rapid access services? Not sure what that is, if that's a technical term, but you just said it's within a week. I feel like that's pretty rapid. <laughs> <laughs> that feels pretty rapid to yeah. me, for sure. I mean, the, the second um, aspect of that around rapid access services are like walk-in counseling. Ah. Um, there are two that I'm very familiar with. So Sherburne Health offers walk-in counseling. Um, they do that on Tuesdays from 1 until 3. If you're 16 years of age and older and um, are not currently working with a mental health professional, you can just go there and access service, as well as Family Service Toronto. They also offer walk-in counseling on Wednesdays from 3.30 till 7.30. How do you uh, create partnerships with other community agencies? So, with Umbrella being a relative... If you do, if you do. Yeah, with Umbrella being relatively new, um, I've been allowing partnerships to kind of um, come about organically. Um, We certainly receive referrals from the 519, um, from Sick Kids, the trans unit there, from Children's Aid Society. Recently, Children's Aid Society, as well as the PAPE Adolescent Resource Center, contacted me um, for their Connections program, which is a program where they support um, older youth that are kind of aging out of a service to put them in contact with therapists within Toronto. Mm -hmm. And they had some LGBTQ um, plus individuals that were needing support. They're just kind of coming about organically um, over time as Umbrella becomes more known about in the community. Nice. Tell us more about telephone and internet counseling services. So that's more like, as you said, it's before the interview, before we started the interview, you said uh, that's more for like outside the GTA, right? Typically, I mean, to me, telephone and internet counseling is about accessibility, that um, there are folks that for any reason may not be able to leave their home. Um, e-counseling and telephone services are certainly um, a great way to, for them to access support. Um, and then, of course, for those that are not able to actually come to our offices downtown, I've done e-counseling with 
folks in Thunder Bay, in New Brunswick. Um, mm. We have cl- we have clients pretty wide stretch that are doing e counseling with us, where they just can't get queer and trans competent therapists, and so that's that is a way for them to get good service in communities that they don't have that. Awesome. That's really good. Uh, I'm glad those services are available because it's not always easy to um, come in in person. And Exactly. Yeah. We're very fortunate for those of us that get to live downtown Toronto to access these services, yeah. but that's not the case for everyone, obviously. Yeah. How important is it to stay connected with your followers on social media? So we do have an individual that takes care of all of our social media. Mm. Um, We are on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. um, And we we try to stay connected on a daily basis, posting content that is relevant to uh, queer people, trans people, content that is about mental health, that's about mental hygiene. So things like how do we take care of our mental health? Not just mm. in sort of a reactive way when it goes bad, but how do mm. we how do we do it in a proactive way of things like, you know, getting good rest and um, just taking care of ourselves in good ways that yes. can prevent mental health stuff. Okay, uh, anything you would like to add before we end? I mean, I guess the only thing that I would want to add is that I think so often the conversation around mental health in our community is kind of a grim one or a sad one. Hmm. Um, But in fact, my experience in sitting down with folks in this community is that there's a lot of resources, there's a lot of brilliance, um, Hmm. a lot of resilience in our community. People are able to work through and push through a lot of very difficult challenges. Um, They come together, they talk with each other, Um, They're creative in ways of like figuring out how do I navigate systems that maybe oppress me. They figure out how to like access housing, access employment, how to just generally be in the world. And I think that's a really positive thing that we need to talk about too, is that our community has a lot of resilience. And so this isn't, I think, just a conversation that is negative. There's a lot of positives as well. Fantastic. Well, very happy to have you, Chris, on the show. Thanks for having me, Max. Welcome back to Totally to Radio Totally Normal Toronto on CJRU twelve eighty AM and CJRU.ca. This month we're talking about mental health and LGBTQ. We just heard from Max of RTNT and Chris Shelligan from the Umbrella Mental Health Network. Thank you to all the members and staff of Progress Place who work hard each month to create a recurring episode of Radio Totally Normal Toronto. Special thank you to Ronnie of Shelburne Health and Chris Shelligan of Umbrella Mental Health Network for being involved in episode 19 of RTNT. Thank you to our listeners, and please share this episode with your friends and family. Together we can transition from mental health stigmas to a continued focus on mental health. To learn more about RTNT or listen to previous episodes, please check out RadioTotallyNormalToronto.org. We are pleased to announce that this show is now streaming on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts if you search up Radio Totally Normal Toronto. If you'd like to learn more about Progress Place, visit ProgressPlace.org. You can also track Progress Place on social media. Our handle is Progress Place Clubhouse. 
for Facebook and Instagram. I'm Michelle for Radio Totally Normal, Toronto. See you next month.